Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Arrowhead Attic Podcast. My name is Matt Connor. I've been away for a little while. Uh, things have been kind of sick, and then we took a break for holidays, and I know my whole world's been busy. Sterling, it's been a little while. How are you today, man? I'm doing well, man. I'm doing well, hanging in there. Uh, I have a KC beer, so let's let's be real here. Things can't can't be that bad for me over here in Kansas City. How are you doing? I've missed you. Yeah, I'm good, man. I'm good. I you know feel like I'd love to catch up about our holidays in the new year. Just want to acknowledge here at the top of the show, we're recording this while the National Football League is still kind of in a big holding pattern that no one really seems to know the best way forward or what to do. But I will say this, in the wake of DeMar Hamlin's injury, I know up front, we just want to acknowledge this. We're all obviously praying for him and his family and friends. The whole NFL has really had a moment here where we're showing, or I think we're more cognizant of the, I I think this is true for me for this whole season, and Sterling, you can weigh in on this too. It almost feels like I'm more cognizant of the humanity of the whole thing more than ever. Even before this, this season, we've seen like Chiefs players taking to Twitter and just acknowledging like, hey, we're just guys trying to play the game. We're, you know, we're trying to do what we can. And you get some of that feedback from fans of, of how much they should be saying or not. But, but in general, there's been, I don't know, kind of a, an understanding of the Chiefs aren't just going to dominate every game. These are real guys trying to win. And then not every player is going to do great every game. These are just guys trying to make their dreams come true. And then and then when you see something like the tragedy of, of Hamlin going down on the field, and then that calls everything into question. To me, it just brings down the curtain on the whole thing and, and, and makes me really take stock in the humanity of it all. I've, I've, I'm old enough as a football fan to have seen some players collapse on the field and the game continue just minutes later. Mike Gutley, Kevin Everett, um, Dennis Bird, some others there. So for the first time, it really seemed like the NFL, on the, it was really, I think, probably the Players Association, but the league too, just sort of realizing, how do you play football after this? You can't, you won't. And I know that there's a lot of considerations, which really means a lot of money, in the balance after that and a lot of things to worry about. But like even today, the Hall of Fame announcement was supposed to be made tonight for the next round, and that's being postponed. We still don't know what's going to happen logistically. There are big things at stake football-wise, and yet everyone has kind of removed that ceiling of what is football-wise to just say, wait, 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 forget football for, for just long enough to say this is a humanity thing and there are bigger things to consider. We all have emotions that are unsettling that we don't know what to do with. And to try to bring that back to the field as normal or back to our conversations as normal is dishonest. And so even here on the podcast, you know, normally like we're going to talk about the Broncos game. We're going to talk about McCole Hardman coming back. We're going to talk about the Raiders game coming up and all that. And at the same time for us to do so and not acknowledge from the front that, wow, we all have these emotions. It was very difficult for everyone to watch. It's it reminds you of the physical nature of the game and 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 the risk taken by the part of these players and um and the humanity of it all. So I, I know I just said a lot, Sterling. I, I want to get your thoughts on on where we're at too. But acknowledging that, I think up front allows us to maybe talk about some other things, 
while at least addressing kind of this place that we're all in, which is, this is just so tragic. Yeah. Uh, obviously, first off, prayers for Jamar Hamlin and his family, as well as everyone involved. I want to give a shout out to the EMTs, first responders, training staff, everyone who was able to acknowledge what happened and got to him right away may have saved his life. That was just an incredible display of of people knowing what to do in that situation. You obviously hope they do, but seeing it in action, this is not a typical injury. This is not even a concussion, which we've tried to at least the NFL, for the most part, is trying to bring light to, right? This is not a concussion. I think Booger McFarland did a great job when thrown to. No one knows how to handle the situation. And Booger McFarland, I thought, brought up a very good point. He, he brought up the fact that we know what the risks are. We know we might break a leg. We might tear an ACL. We, we might get a concussion. But there's never really a thought that you might not go home to your family. This is one of the few times that you can really point out and say, this was a moment where you, you know, where you were watching the game, you know, exactly what was going on. And this was more than just a football injury, right? It's heartbreaking. It's devastating, but some, some good things have happened, right? His uh, toy drive, which originally was supposed to get $2,500 now over four and a half million. Last time I checked Uh, sometimes out of tragedy, you see new life pop up with, all fan bases coming together. You've seen Chiefs fans, Bills fans, Bengals fans. While we understand the standings and we'll f- eventually figure out how that plays out, right? We, we know that the NFL season, there's the, the pinnacle of what you're going for. But it feels like all these fan bases are coming together in unison saying there's something bigger at stake. And that's DeMar Hamlin. That's very encouraging to see. The Cincinnati Bengals fans deserve a lot of credit in their own right. We didn't hear any, any you know, who days going on when stuff was happening. They, they were quiet. They understood the gravity of the situation. Obviously, we're going to try and, and talk about the Kansas City Chiefs and the Broncos and break down what's going to happen going forward. But we just wanted to at least acknowledge and, and, and pray and hope for Jamar Hamlin and his family because at this moment, that is what's most important. And that's what's, I think, on everyone's mind. Yeah, you're right. I think just right now, we're all part of Bill's Mafia. Right now, we're all pulling for Hamlin. Right now, we all understand that what felt important a couple days ago is really not that important. And we've been reminded of the pecking order of those things. Um, And more than anything, we just want to see these young kids like Hamlin be able to fulfill their dreams and, and, and do what they love and, and not have it come to something like this. So, um, you know, certainly hope that we hear positive reports even, even very soon on that Um, in terms of what's going to happen and all that. I mean, no one knows. And so our ability or our, even our attempts to say, well, I think this or that I'm, it's just kind of feeble right now and, and, and probably not worth all that discussion. Yeah. All that said, we do want to talk about the chiefs. We're here to talk about the chiefs. We're arrowhead addict, a chiefs focused site, and we're happy to do so. Um, but we just wanted to get that up in, in the top of the hour here. What we do want to give a shout out to our great sponsor, KC beer. You're drinking them. You're loving them. No, I got a Hellas Lager right here. I'm a massive fan of the Hellas Lager. I actually have the KC beer co sign. On the wall right behind me, you see that bright light? That's the KC Beer Co. sign. It's pretty bright. It's badass, okay? It's a Where'd badass sign. That, by the way? Uh, my dad got it for me for Christmas, so shout out to my dad. Shout out Mr. Holmes, okay? It's a badass move. But KC Beer Co., they used the Bavarian, Bavarian Purity Law of 1516 to brew their beer, right? The Bavarian Beer Purity Law of 1516, which is using only four ingredients. They have a whole bunch of specialty beers out now that they had come out for wintertime. They are all incredible. The Winterbach, the Hefeweizen, Dunkelbach, 
Uh, I'm drinking the Hellas Lager. The Hellas Lager is one of my favorite go-to beers just in general. It's a great sipping beer. Any occasion, you will love the Hellas Lager. But again, if you've not tried Casey Beer Co., we highly recommend you go out and get some. Anytime you guys tweet us uh, with the Casey Beer Co., that means the world to us, means the world to them. It really shows that the relationship, the partnership is working well. Casey Beer Co., dare to beer different. Thanks, Sterling. Hey, obviously, we do want to talk Chiefs. And to talk Chiefs is to talk about the most recent game. Week 17, Denver visited Arrowhead. The season sweep was completed. Like, like, like in some ways, I don't want to miss the perspective of of what's happening between these two teams, which is 15 consecutive. We, you know, one of um, we've got great, we've got a ton of great contributors at AA, one of which is at Chiefs Channel, Scott Loring. He wrote uh, this great column of like all the things that happened have happened since the last time the Broncos won. And I just like, I'm just laughing out loud when he says like Derrick Henry was going for his Heisman trophy, uh, you know, uh, like with trying to rush for the Heisman trophy when the last time the Broncos beat the chiefs or, uh, you know, these movies were popular or whatever. I, I know that there's like, Oh my gosh, another three point win. Russell Wilson didn't look like the worst NFL quarterback in doing so, but 15 straight. I just want to start there. I mean, uh, like, are, are you fo- are you focused more on that, or are you focused more on like the close nature of the game? I'll sit on a fence right here. It's very uncomfortable, but I think it's one of those situations where the Chiefs are obviously a clear cut better team than the Denver Broncos. But also, it's so difficult to beat a team 15 straight times. Whatever, whatever it is now. You said 15. I know it's been since 2015, right? Since the Royals won a su- uh, the World Series. Yeah, it's. It's incredible, but also you're going to have those situations where they're going to be closed games. There's just going to be. These teams know each other very well, even if there are new coaching staff, a, a new quarterback in, in Russell Wilson, right? There's still some carryover. There's still some of that that bad blood between each uh, organization. The fact that the Chiefs have won 15 straight, I think, should be the, the storyline here. The close nature of the game obviously is concerning. We'll dive deep into that because I have a couple of major takeaways that I want to hit on. But I do just want to let that sit and simmer for a second. You know, since 2015, the Chiefs have dominated not just the, the Broncos, but the AFC West. At some point, you have to take into consideration, no matter how close it is, that's an impressive feat in its own right. What were you doing in the fall of 2015, Sterling? I, I was in college. Oh, I was... Uh, I was a junior. Uh, that would have been, yeah, junior. I was a junior at the University of Missouri uh, studying business marketing. Studying business marketing. I was going to fraternity parties, okay? I was I was getting hammered off jungle juice. That's what I was doing the last time the Broncos beat the Chiefs. <laughs> nice. As I'm drinking a beer here, so not much has changed apparently. <laughs> Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. 
BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Let's talk about some of those takeaways. I'd love to hear, like, if we started on the offensive side coming away from that game, or or if, if all your takeaways are on one side, that's fine too. But I'd love to hear some of your takeaways. What did, like, how did you leave week 17 as, as like, concerned citizen fan? Well, well, let me start with the positives, okay? The, the, the positives are the offensive line did a phenomenal job. I was very impressed with what they did. Uh, you didn't hear anyone complaining about Orlando Brown Jr. Andrew Wiley did a great job. The interiors really coming together, what we thought they were going to be at the start of the season. Ever since about week eight or so, they've really started to gel and progress. The only game that was the major outlier was against the Cincinnati Bengals. And correct me if I'm wrong, that was the game Joe Tooney missed. So that comes with a grain of salt, obviously. But I think the offensive line did a great job. Mahomes had as much time as he wanted for for the majority of this game. Mahomes was outstanding in the first half outside of one throw. Second half was a different story. They didn't run the ball as much as I would have liked, you know, I think Jerick McKinnon obviously is continuously being a bright spot in this offense. Travis Kelsey doing what Travis Kelsey does, continuously being a bright spot in this offense. But again, I think the positives really were the offensive line gelling at the right time as they start to head into the playoffs. What about you offensively? Yeah, you know, off- offensively there were there were some real issues there. Um, I I have like a, I have a positive and a, and a negative there. One, I love this backfield. Like I think. I think the way that Jarek McKinnon is looking right now, look like he looks postseason ready. And I believe in Pacheco if given if given uh, the number of carries that he deserves to like get the run game going. I like this tandem that they have. Now, of course, I like I've liked other running backs better. Like I miss Kareem Hunt, you know, back there, Jamal Charles. Like, like we don't have a back like that. But this tandem, I think, can work really well in this offense. And I think they're a Super Bowl-worthy tandem. But uh, let me ask you this, because I put this out there, and I had some people give me some feedback, like like I'd said something wrong. But Marquez Valdez-Scantling, right? We've seen some real issues with Mahomes overthrowing him as if Mahomes expects him to be in a different place than what he is. Like, he expects him to be three more steps down the field. I mean, like, we know that MVS runs fast, and he's also – Six four. He's a rare package of length and downfield speed, but there seems to be something missing. And all I said, even on Twitter, was I think there's some uh, there's some chemistry issues between the two. And and then people were like, well, it's not it's not MVS's fault. He's wide open. And I'm like, well, I didn't say it was MVS's fault. It's just the the ball's not there when we haven't seen this problem like so often when it was Tyreek or even when it's McColl or whatever. Well, I, I would disagree. I think we saw it a lot with McCole Hardman. That was the knock against him his first three years was he was never on the same page as Patrick Mahomes. That's what I always noticed with, with McCole. They were I never mean, on the I mean, same page. I mean, and so, I'm not even remembering that right. I, I guess I guess I wonder with you, like, like is it like why isn't MVS where Pat thinks he's going to be? Mahomes' touch shouldn't be that off unless there's just is – there, is, is it a familiarity thing? 
I think there's something to it, obviously, being a deep ball, so you're going to have a higher variance of a missed throw. I think Pimp Daddy in the chat brings a good point. Mahomes has been missing those throws since game one, missing Harbin wide open for a deep touchdown. I think it's mostly Hardman and MVS that he's been missing. Obviously, it's the deep ball, so it's going to be a higher chance of an incompletion than an eight-yard in route or something like that, out route even to Juju Smith-Schuster or Curl. Um, But, yeah, I do think there's something to it. Seven targets for MVS, only two receptions. But – Part of it has to be MVS as well, because MVS was never necessarily on the same page with Aaron Rodgers. And Aaron Rodgers at that time had won two straight MVPs back to back. So it's not like he hasn't played with great quarterbacks. I don't think his season has been a disaster. I know some people like to blame MVS. If you expected him to all of a sudden go over a thousand yards receiving, that's on you, right? That's not what he was brought in to be. Uh, I think it is slightly concerning for example, a couple of games ago, not even this previous game, a couple of games ago, Mahomes had him on a deep ball. MVS kept going because he beat the, the D-back, right? Well, he thought that MVS was going to flatten out, and he did not. That was on Mahomes as well. That was a miscommunication, but looking to me, more Mahomes' fault. I don't know what the issue is here, but it needs to get resolved because they're leaving a lot of points on the board, a lot of explosive plays on the board with their disconnect. Yeah, so some of the downfield, maybe I just should have said it's the downfield chemistry with the Chiefs in general, without Tyreek Hill, has been missing. Uh, clearly, Mahomes is 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 feeling something different than what's there, um, and I don't want to question his his touch or timing because he's like the best at what he does. But yeah, yeah, I, I get it that way. What were some other takeaways for you, maybe from the defensive side? The defensive line was outstanding. George Karloftis has me very much enthused. And by the way, yeah, Pip and Daddy, another good point. Uh, he's been hitting some deep balls with Kadarius Tony. I, I think that's something to point out as well. Uh, Tony has the ability to go up and, and track the ball very, very well, maybe better than MVS or Cole Hardman. So that could be a factor as well. But defensively, the D-line was great. Dunlap was all over the place. Even if he wasn't showing up a ton in the box score, he was affecting the game. When Russell Wilson, especially in the first half, was rolling out, they tried to use a lot of bootlegs to give him out in the open field to uh, extend plays, right? Well, instead of Dunlap just collapsing right away or chasing him, because Russell Wilson's probably faster than a DN still, still, surprisingly, he wasn't biting he was staying in the passing lane because Carlos Dunlap has the long arms. Russell Wilson's 5'11". It was a very shrewd veteran move by Dunlap. Karloftis was great. Colin Saunders, uh, he came like, like he was shot out of a cannon. I get He wasn't blocked, but great job getting there. Chris Jones finishing the game off. Those last two plays really sealed the dub up. He was getting triple teamed early on in that game. Uh, D-line was a major storyline for me on the positive side. Uh, some negatives. The linebacking core is really getting picked apart over the middle and pass coverage. You know me, love Nick Bolton, but he's really starting to struggle and he's getting picked apart and targeted a lot, right? It, over the middle of the field, tight ends are starting to have a field day. We saw it against the Bengals early on, actually, until Hayden Hurst got hurt. Willie Gay Jr. for the athleticism that jumps off. Um, he struggled a little bit in pass coverage still. It's a little bit of a surprise. Uh, Leo Chanel, though, is really coming on as a linebacker. He's starting to get more snaps. It's tough to see him get a ton of snaps or more playing time, though, with the amount of three safety looks or three cornerback looks that Chiefs typically roll out. So he's he's producing in small sample size. I just don't know if that sample size rises anytime soon. Yeah, I, I think that's really well said. I, I want to go back to your first point because one of our criticisms of the Chiefs was that 
if they have to generate a blitz in order to create pressure and they can't get pressure with their front four, that's going to come back and bite them in the postseason. But last Sunday against the Broncos, it's exactly what you said. It was Carl Loftus. Mike Dana got a got a quarterback hit. Uh, you had um, you know Dunlap. You had you know Jones. Of course, was was feasting late. You had a great team effort, and it was that front line doing a lot of the work. I know McDuffie got in there. I, like I know there were some extra hits, but by and large, there were a lot of quarterback hits just from that front line, which allows then the blitzes to become more exotic and and that much more of a bonus. Like Sneed coming in, like like McDuffie. Uh, I love. By the way, I loved. I loved McDuffie blitzing. I mean, I like like we've got this new wrinkle here. By the way, Mc, Trent McDuffie, best game of the season or not? I would have to think about it in more detail than just right now. He had a very nice game, though. He yeah. really had a nice game. Joshua Williams uh, struggled. I don't know if it's a rookie wall. I know they like to say, oh, there's no such thing as a rookie wall. I disagree. There, there is. I know they're they're no longer considered rookies this part of the season. I I, I can buy that, but when you've not played at this high a level yeah. for this long yeah. in any part of your career, there is something to all of a sudden you could potentially be running out of steam. Williams has started to show a little cracks. I don't know if they have tape on him now. I'm not saying he's not playable. I, I think Williams has still been uh, at least an average cornerback, but in this game we saw him get a little handsy potentially at times that he probably did not need to, especially at the line of scrimmage. But, yeah, McDuffie had a very nice game. I, I can't disagree there. I loved what I saw. I, I, and, and I'll say this in terms of, like, um, optimism. You know, If you draft McDuffie in the first round and Karloftis in the first round, and then mm. if you fast forward 17 games and watch this tape, right? You see Karloftis play well against the run. You see his, you see him get another sack in the streak of sacks. Uh, I, I love that one play where McDuffie forced a fumble. Karloftis picks it up, right? I mean, like it was like a holy hell. Here's like both first round picks generating the turnover and 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 making this play happen. I I just thought McDuffie was so good, and and as he's also blitzing, I'm thinking, uh oh. Spags is learning how to use his kid. Finally, finally, right? And we always knew Karloftis just needed the reps. He came in. He's he's not just twenty one. He like just turned twenty one when he joined the Chiefs. He's he's he had to learn new technique. He's got to get better than just a power bull rush. He, he's starting to get there. Starting to lean into um, better technique. Uh, more experience against these opponents means he's now facing the Broncos for the second time. And now we're seeing. In the second half, these two guys come on strong. If the Chiefs needed anyone on the defense to come on strong, it's the two guys with the highest ceiling, and they just drafted two first-round picks. So I find that so heartening at this stage that these are the results we're getting from the two names submitted in the first round. Uh, I do want to hit one question from Sean. Uh, Sterling, do you think the Chiefs should look for a better pass coverage linebacker in the draft that can play in the middle on passing downs, or do you think they should just coach up what they have? I think they have some guys that should be good in pass coverage. Willie Gay Jr. should be a stud in pass coverage. I just think it's going to take a little bit of time. You have to remember he was hurt a lot of his college career. He's been missing a decent amount of games in his NFL career. I think it'll eventually click. I think Nick Bolton is not your prototypical third down back. We knew this. I'm a massive Mizzou guy. I went to Mizzou. I don't like to be critical of Nick Bolton, but we knew the limitations in pass coverage. We knew that. But he's so smart 
that that's why Willie Gay Jr. and him work so well in tandem. They just need to continuously grow together on the field at the same time. And then even Leo Chanel, I know he's almost more of a pass rusher, kind of a downhill guy. If you looked at the combine numbers, that's a dude that screams he could do anything. That's a guy who screams the athleticism is there if he yeah. learns how to uh, the you know how to guard, how to how to play in zone coverage or man coverage. The the athleticism is there, so I think they have the guys. They have the horses. It's going to come down to uh, learning, processing, and it just might take a little bit of time. Mm. Um, I just want to remind you, we, you know, we take a lot of, we, we take questions from our members at times. Um, we also hang out with members in our discord channel. Uh, even the last few days, it's been great. Even just to kind of parse through the, the heaviness of the NFL, Hamlin's injury, the chief's victory on Sunday and kind of the mixed mix back there. Um, it's just always a great place. It's a, it's a lively place, but it's, uh, yeah, we just love it. If you haven't joined the Arrowhead Addict, um, you can go to arrowheadaddict.com slash memberships. There's all kinds of perks there for you, but just so much of it is the community itself um, and hanging out. And then, of course, we've got uh, you know special content that we provide only uh, for members. And there's all kinds of other things there that, that will it's much better presented than what I will present it here. Uh, <laughs> but if you want to check it out, we'd love to have you join. It's arrowheadaddict.com slash memberships. Sterling, I, you know, I want to go to special teams here because it's hard to talk about Sunday without bringing up special teams again. And, you know, like it, it, I remember at halftime, it was like me and you and, and Verderam and the idea that Dave Tobe has got to go, what came up or, or was like brought up in some, that, that some move had to be made. And I felt a little bit defensive there for him, even though I'm, I'm also, you know, completely flummoxed by what's happening this season. But I also know, you know, like if you read Rick Gosselin's special team rankings every year, I mean, he's like, he's like the guy who makes like, these are the supreme special teams rankings. And, and everyone kind of says that's like the special teams Bible, so to speak. The Chiefs have been like the best or at least top three or five, like almost every single year since like 2013 when Dave Tobe first arrived. So in other words, this year we're looking at like, you know, we're all fr- like, we're all frustrated this year. I get it. But what you have so far is layered excellence in 2013, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21 is all like mostly excellence, Pro Bowl performers. Butker looks great. Townsend looks great. Cole quits making Pro Bowls under Dave Tobe. Good returns. Everything's always clean. Great execution. Pinning them deep. Like all the things. And this year it's none of the things, right? And I guess I just wonder, does does a guy have to walk the plank because it all falls apart? Are there things that we don't know that aren't his uh, – he's not the one on the field filming the ball, right? Sure. So at the same time, Verriam would say he's the one calling for him to even try to catch it in the first place. So I, I get that too. And I guess I want to throw all of this together and say, like – does Dave Tobe deserve to keep his job? Does at least some assistance head have to roll just to bring in some accountability? Like, wh- like, what do you do with that legacy versus the results this year? 
You have to have a longer outlook than just one season. But at the end of the day, you have to have results. This is a results-oriented business. Raymond Chandler even says, special teams, how you coach, don't fumble. I'm with you. But when you continuously put Sky Moore back there when he was not up to the task, that's eventually not on Sky Moore anymore. That's on Dave Tobe or the guy who's continuously putting him back there in a spot that he's not ready for. Kadarius Toney, we hadn't seen him do something like this, but also he's not broken any big plays as a returner. He loves going side to side. He always has that athleticism. The, the speed's there. Just stop. Fair catch. I, I understand. Like, it, it sounds simple, but just don't make a mistake. The Chiefs' offense is so potent that the best in the NFL, just give them the ball. Stop taking possessions away from Mahomes. It makes zero sense. At some point, it does have to come down to Dave Tobe. If they don't have a guy who can catch the rock, put no one back there. I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. Put no one back there. What's the worst that happens? You don't turn it over and you have poor field position? You think the Chiefs can't score from poor field position? You know how I know they can't score? If they don't have the damn ball. <laughs> like, it's not that complicated. I get it. That's being drastic in the other way. But eventually, some of it does have to fall on Dave Tobe, and you are hurting the credit that he's built and the legacy he has built from the past decade. It's it's all coming down at once. He's not the guy to, to fault for the Butker injury, but at some point, if he's not the guy that noticed Towns is holding and it had to be Dustin Colquitt, that might be a little bit of an issue. Uh, I'm not saying he didn't notice and that's not stuff they work on. We're obviously doing a little speculation here, but it just seems like all things are going wrong on special teams. And if he's yep. such a great coordinator, why can't he fix it? Why can't he get some of it that seems coachable to work? Yeah, I'm I, I'm with you. I, I don't know. I We've got a lot of comments here that uh, – that really show kind of how tough it is to make a to make it here. Angry drunken German says, "Have people already forgotten the numerous mistakes that Harmon has made?" True, returning. Great point. And I said that then too. Yep. Stop running it back. When was the last time you've seen the Chiefs just break off these long punt returns? Dante Hall, pretty much. Yeah, it, I, once or twice you've seen Hardman or Tyree Kill, but that, that's what it was. Hill. Like, it was Hill. Is the last eight percent. 5% say there's 20 punts. How many has been big return? One out of 20? Isaiah Pacheco is a Pro Bowl returner this year. Are we asking too much of returners? Has special teams overall gotten better and no one's breaking them off like that? I mean, if Pacheco's a Pro Bowl returner for you, does that just show – I mean, Pacheco hasn't run one back for a score this year, right? No, but yes, it's down. But my point is that doesn't excuse the mistakes. Just because other teams aren't breaking big plays uh, – I'm just saying it makes zero sense for the Kansas City Chiefs who have the most potent offense in the NFL to even try to do something like this. If you are a anemic offense where five yards might make or break a 55-yard field goal or, you're, oh, it's out of field goal range, got a punt, then, yeah, I understand. That's not going to make or break this offense. Yeah. I, I'm not saying fire Dave Tobe at all. I, I do think Dave Tobe has enough um, – enough legacy what he's done this is one horrendous season in all facets of special teams i'm not saying fire him but i do think there has to be a long look whether that's at getting a new new holder if you want to have chad henny hold the rock i'm cool with it if you want to take a look at kicker in the offseason have a legitimate 
tryout then. I'm cool with it. I do think Harrison Bucker, uh, the injury is probably still lingering. I'm still a, a decent fan of Harrison Bucker. He's a top three all-time field goal percentage in NFL history. That does not grow on trees. If we're going to give Dave Tobe some some uh, leniency here, I think Butker, for what he's done, deserves a little bit of leniency as well. Kickers are not as easy as, oh, well, he's not doing great. Let's just get a guy who makes every single kick. We, we didn't see that with Danny Amendola. We didn't see it with Matthew Wright. Justin Tucker, the best kicker in NFL history, has struggled at times this season. Uh, it's just not a good year for special teams in Kansas City. Yes, that's so true. That's so true. I, I want to move forward here and look at um, – there's an interesting uh, decision that the Chiefs have to make here, right? Um, a couple weeks ago, just to bring everyone up to speed, McCole Hardman – came off of injured reserve to be able to practice. There's a 21-day practice window in which a player can um, participate fully with the team. Um, He doesn't have to take a place on the active roster, however. That gives the team a chance to see how he's doing, how healthy he is, how game-ready he is. And Hardman has been practicing over the last three weeks. This is that third week or 21 days. The window ends tomorrow. That means the Chiefs have to make a choice as to whether or not to bring Hardman onto the active roster and therefore have to cut someone else or stash him on injured reserve the rest of the year, which could not only end his season, but his entire tenure with the team because he's on a contract year. Now, we know the Chiefs have missed Hardman, but if Hardman's not healthy or not ready, he's tried to practice this week, or I'm sorry, last week, and then faded from practice because he was still feeling some pain, still having to work out some things. Um, is Hardman worth carrying on the active roster until he's ready for you? Like like, like if by tomorrow trainers are looking at him and going, no way, he's not playing, he's not playing this week, do you still activate him in hopes that, hey, sometime by the Super Bowl, I want McCall Hardman? Or do you say, oh, we, we got to move on because a roster position is a roster position? I think again, we're, we're not doctors. We're not we're not a Chiefs doctor. Surprisingly, uh, I know it's shocking to all of you that we're not uh, not actual doctors. I have paid operation expenses. <laughs> so, 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 so this, take this with a grain of salt. It, it's all going to come down to what the doctors truthfully think his legitimate return time is. Yeah. I'll give you my thoughts here. I think you can last a week or two. You can obviously last week eighteen. And probably even though if you're the two seed, let's just say the Chiefs for the sake of argument are the two seed. You can for sure, I think, last that week with Hardman uh, on the roster and taking up a spot if you truthfully believe he'll be back for the AFC Championship game in the Super Bowl. If you think he's only going to be back for the Super Bowl, that's too much of a risk that I would not want to take. Kadarius Toney, to an extent, I don't want to say has made McCall Hardman redundant, but a lot of that role Tony can do as well. The guy I would probably look at might be Justin Watson. I don't think Justin Watson's a bad wide receiver. I think he's taken um, a lot of shots recently from fans because of his previous couple-week performance, right? He had a nice season up to that point. But I think MVS and Justin Watson are fairly the similar or, or similar type of player as well. I think MVS is better than Justin Watson personally. Maybe this actually adds more snaps for Sky Moore, who Sky Moore has produced more than all three of those guys, right? So I think there's a way you can do about it just in the wide receiver room, not even looking at other spots on the team. 
So I think if they truly, truthfully believe Harvey could come back in a week or two, you, you activate him and find a spot. If not, I think you're fine with Kadarius Tony. Yeah. Speaking of, by the way, there are a couple minor injuries, or at least you hope that they remain minor. Legereus Sneed has a hip pointer, and he's out uh, of practice this week, or at least in part. Uh, the loss of Sneed on defense would be catastrophic. I mean, that guy has been a steady, versatile weapon for Spags all year uh, at a greater level than he's ever played before. That would be one. Uh, also this week, Sky Moore has a lacerated hand on the inside of his hand. So th- like that would be very problematic catching the ball. How, how uh, concerned are you about that, the lacerated hand? I mean, to me, I, I, to me, I may almost make that trade on the IR. I mean, I mean, I mean, if that's not going to heal for Sky and he's not going to be like if he's going to need a couple weeks, I probably switch him out for Hardman. If Sky Moore can heal and that won't be a problem, I probably switch him out for like Josh Kando is is probably what I do. And I know that carries an extra wide receiver, but I like Hardman in a number of ways, including returner um, on this team. I like his presence. I like. I like him as yet another weapon that could be deployed even with Tony on the field. Um, And I like him better than like having that extra security at defensive end, like a 10th defensive lineman or something. I, I would put, there's no way I stash Hardman unless doctors tell me, look, this guy, he's never playing in the chief's uniform again. No, I'm with you. I, I think it's a very fair point. I think we're very similar on where we stand here. Uh, we've been seeing some CEH comments. Um, do you want to touch that one, or you want me to take it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm uh, yeah, I'm not against. I'm not against Clyde at all. I'm, I'm, I'd be very happy to welcome him back. I watched Ronald Jones on Sunday and thought, "Give me Clyde all day, every day in that spot." Um, if we can put Jones back on injured reserve or back on uh, the practice squad. That sounds great. Uh, you know, we have Melvin Gordon already there as well. Uh, you know, the, the Chiefs have some options here. Um, I, I think Clyde is going to be motivated. I, you know, if he can, if Clyde can rejoin the roster and actually show some solid productivity in the postseason, that would bode really well for him, even mentally, to come into the offseason with some real like momentum toward a new year and a fresh start when this one's just been so maligned by let, let's not forget the guy had five touchdowns in the first three games. And we were looking at Clyde, like he was some like, wow, he's got some real red zone magic working right now, which he did at the time. Um, and then we were all like pretty excited about him at that point, And then everything fell apart. So um, yeah, I, 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 why, you know, you had that smirk on your face. Like you didn't want to touch Clyde. Are, are you, are you not want to, is he like an electric fence for you? No, no, I, I would bring him back. I think he's one of the three best backs on the, on the team. I just know a lot of fans are not a massive fan of Clyde. Sure. I'm not saying I, I first of I hated the draft pick at the time. I will always die on the hill that no running back should be drafted in the first round, unless you're Barry Sanders. But I don't think Barry Sanders is going to come out and be in his prime in the 2023 NFL draft. Uh, CEH is a sunk cost. I see you, Carter. He is a sunk cost, but he's still one of the three best backs on this team. He does more than Ronald Jones. We're acting like Clyde is a complete bust. I wouldn't say Clyde is a complete bust. I think he was um, a poor draft pick, right? But as far as what he's actually done, it's not like he's what Trent Richardson, right? 
Trent Richardson was a complete and utter bust at running back. Clyde was going for 4.3 yards a carry. It's not like Clyde was out here getting 2.9. He was getting 4.3 yards a rock or a a tote. Um, Isaiah Pacheco was going for 4.7 this season. Uh, Pacheco, I think, is a better runner overall. I'm not saying give Clyde carries. I think it should be Jarek McKinnon and Isaiah Pacheco. I'm talking about in an emergency situation, I trust Clyde more than Ronald Jones. I think Clyde's more well-rounded than Ronald Jones. I don't want Clyde getting any touches, any touches, if McKinnon or Pacheco are healthy. That's not what I'm talking about, okay? I'm talking about as a strict backup. I like Clyde as a person. We've had a chance to talk to Matt Connor myself. He's a nice guy. We both were wrong on the breakout candidacy of of Clyde, but I, I think he's the third best back on this team, and it makes sense to have him over Mel- Melvin Gordon, who's never played for the Kansas City Chiefs, Ronald Jones. Yeah, I agree with you there. I actually wouldn't mind seeing him get touches. I think he is a good receiver. I think he's a he's a better pass blocker than Pacheco at this point. We've seen Pacheco really kind of whiff at times uh, and learn some tough lessons there. Um, I yeah, I think he's going to get better, but he's a he's a rookie in that regard. For sure. Let me ask you, let's move on. Um, I want to go to uh, the MVP race here. Some of this has been complicated because we thought there may be this great Joe Burrow versus Josh Allen primetime, you know, play in which we'd see one of them maybe make a last gasp for MVP. No one knows how that's going to turn out, what's going to whatever. But when it comes to most valuable player, is this a foregone conclusion that Pat has a second one now? Yes. And Vegas thinks so, too. It's over. Mahomes is going to win MVP. Uh, barring some epic collapse in week 18, uh, Mahomes is it. 5,000 yards, 40 touchdowns, didn't even use the extra game. Mahomes is the guy. Yeah, I, I, I think Jalen Hurts was, in my, again, my opinion, I, I think Jalen Hurts was leading Mahomes before his injury. I think it was neck and neck, and I almost gave the, the nod to, to Jalen Hurts. But now it's not even a, a competition. I hate the argument of, well, look what the Eagles have done without Jalen Hurts. See, this, this proves he's more valuable than he should play, right? There's something to it. I It sucks for Jalen Hurts. I, I feel horrendous that he got injured. You never want injuries in the NFL. But you can't say because he's injured, this means he should be the MVP. That's a asinine argument. Yeah. What do they always say? The best ability is availability. It's Mahomes. It's not close. I think Jalen Hurts probably still gets second in MVP voting, but it's Mahomes, and he's winning his second one. Yeah. I looked in sports books today uh, at some of the awards. You can't even you can't even put money on defensive player of the year anymore. It so belongs to Nick Bosa that that Vegas won't even take your money anymore because they don't want to lose. I think it's the same way for defensive rookie of the year. You can't even vote on it. Sauce Gardner, it's Sauce Gardner, right? So, but I still saw you could for MVP. It like it's still up there, even though it's heavily weighted toward Mahomes. It made me it made me wonder, okay, if sportsbooks still have this open and on the table, is it the sure thing? I'm with you though. I think it is the sure thing. I think it's really silly uh that it's not already closed, but because you have to talk yourself out of giving it to Patrick Mahomes, not that's talk yourself point. into giving it to Patrick. Yep. Yeah, that's a that's a great, great point. Great point. So let's look ahead to the Raiders game here, week 18. Uh, you know, I had some friends talking to me, um, you know, just like talking about the Chiefs. And 
they uh one of them is a Raiders fan and suddenly Jared Stidham is like uh you know I don't know um this the second coming of of Ken Stabler I like I don't, I don't know who to I don't know who to say here but suddenly he's like a Raiders quarterbacking legend and Josh McDaniels has found his muse and and you know like I will say this the San Francisco 49ers have an epic defense and the Raiders gave them hell on offense with without Derek Carr how worried are you at all about the Raiders hosting the Chiefs in week 18 trying to prove something heading into the offseason that they're going to gain some momentum next year slightly I'm not going to say it's a non-zero chance I don't think it's going to be a particularly easy game for Kansas City the Chiefs are the better team the Chiefs are the better team by far. The defensive line is starting to click. Uh, the, the Chiefs' offensive line is starting to click, so that obviously bodes well. Mahomes is Mahomes of the better team. Yeah. But the Raiders, even though they're not in the playoff hunt, are not playing for nothing. McDaniels wants to keep his job. They're trying to figure out if Stidham's the guy. They want to know if he's the dude going forward. Is Devontae Adams going to be here next season? There's guys fighting for, for roster spots. Who's going to be in the team? Josh Jacobs has had a great season. Josh Jacobs... I'm hoping gets bottled up on the ground, but Josh Jacobs has had a nice year. Waller yeah. and Renfro, I believe, are both back, if I'm not mistaken. I got to look at that. Waller, yeah. I thought, was for sure back last week. I thought he caught a touchdown pass. Um, yeah. But the point is, it's not the Raiders team's horrendous. They have some of their weapons back that they didn't have earlier on. I don't think Sidham's a great quarterback, but sometimes you don't have much tape on a dude. You don't know. You don't know what you don't know. That was the argument for Patrick, his rookie season. Remember that? Or his yeah. second season in the NFL, but his first year starting. That was the the whole knock on him was, well, he's great, but they have no tape on him. You can say the same thing about Stedham in his second game, right? I don't know, man. I don't think that the Raiders are any good necessarily, but I, I think there's something to, be, something to be said about a team who's trying to figure out what, what to keep, what to build around to keep their jobs heading into the offseason that can be a slightly dangerous team. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you in terms of, like, slight concern. That would just be kind of the perfect – I'm cautiously optimistic about Sunday. I'm actually more, – I'm more than cautiously optimistic. I also just don't want to say, oh, yeah, I'm not even going to bother, like, paying attention. I mean, of course I'm going to pay attention because that's literally my job to pay attention. But, um, but you know, like, it's not it's not just a throwaway. It's not just a an automatic. The Chiefs are going to have to earn this win like they have – with every game this season. Um, so it'll be, but I think the Raiders will make it interesting. I think Josh McDaniels is going to pull out all the stops. I think, I think every player is going to be very motivated to show what they can do. And uh, you know, that always makes any team dangerous. So yeah, I couldn't agree more. Uh, score prediction for you for Sunday. Ooh, I might end up going very similar. I'm going to say 27, I'll go 27 21. 27 21 Chiefs. Okay. Okay. Uh I think I think the defense rallies here. I think they're going to allow four field goals. And I'll just go 24 12. I'll let the Chiefs double the score and we'll do 24 12 and and leave. If so, that's a 14 and 3 season for the Kansas City Chiefs. I mean, I remember sitting here with you trying to go over the schedule and predicting and whatever. I'm the dumbass that said 11 and 6. Yeah. I'll own up to it. Which, by the way, Vegas had ten and a half. Okay, Vegas oh, yeah. had ten yeah. and a half. It, the, 
for all the things that we've had to say about the Chiefs this season, let's just acknowledge that being on the verge, being the favorites to win your 14th in the regular season is hell of a good season. They've had a great year. Andy Reid deserves a lot of credit this year, uh, more than we're giving him in some ways. I, I think it's been nice to have Matt, uh, Matt Nagy back on the sidelines and like, like maybe some fresh perspective coming in there. I think we've been, I think we've seen results of Joe Cullen coming in on that defensive line. I, I think that's been helpful, but yeah, I mean, I, I know the success of the year doesn't matter until we get to the playoffs and the Super Bowl. but to take your hat off to a regular season in which they've got 13 to 14 wins. It's amazing. It's really amazing. Yeah, a couple comments we're going to get to. Mr. Schwump says, got to calculate missed extra points. I'm assuming he's uh, in regards to my 27-21 pick. Uh, Jerome says, hey, Sterling, I estimated 11-6 and six as well. Thank you, Jerome, for, uh, you know, we, we, we were, um, we wanted to be pleasantly surprised, okay? Under promise and over deliver. Mm. That's what the Chiefs did. Uh, D-Man Chiefin says, Sterling, what's up, my guy? I'm doing well. Doing well, having fun on the show. Uh, no, but we want to point out something, at least I want to point out something that's very intriguing. I somehow, the Chiefs are probably going to end up 14 and three, which is a great season. Seven straight AFC West titles. You know, they've hosted four straight AFC championship games. But this season still feels like there was more underlying issues than I actually thought. The reason why I had them going 11 and six was because I thought early on in the season, they were going to struggle mightily because of all the youth on the defensive side of the ball. That did not happen. We're almost starting to see more struggles, especially in the secondary from the young guys as the season's gone on. Uh, the special teams issues was not something I predicted. The turnover margin was not something that I thought was going to happen. The fact that they're negative, that's not ideal. Um, so to an extent, the season's obviously going to go down as a massive success. And if you look at it from a, you know, from a, from a plane, 35,000 foot view, Mahomes winning MVP, all these great things happening. But when you really get down to the house and you're studying the foundation, you're seeing a lot of these cracks and it gives me a lot of cause to pause. I don't know where you stand, but it feels like a very up and down year, even though the record and some of the accolades feel fantastic. Yeah. Uh- I'll say this and then and then I'll say what I have said on on Twitter. I completely see all the same things that drive you bananas. I see and hate all the things that make Matt Verderam give us a Verderam, right? I like I I I I'm you know I'm all those things frustrate me, but I'll say this. After so many games of saying the Chiefs can't keep winning like this. They just can't the, the, the Chiefs can't, can't keep winning like this. They just can't. One of my favorite Onion article, and I don't mean to make this political, but my favorite Onion article is the one they tr- come out with every time there's some kind of shooting. And they say, nothing can be done about the gun problem, says only nation with the gun problem. It's like, it's like how that's set up. And it's like, oh, you can't do anything about this unless you – like. I don't know why I think of that, but there's like this – like we keep saying this thing about the Chiefs, except like they keep going back on – it's like you can't you can't keep winning like this but they do. They keep winning like this. You keep we keep pointing to this team and saying, uh, no one can like like you can't keep turning the ball over and winning. Yeah, yeah, you can. They're 14 and three. They're, but they're not against the good teams, Matt. And that's where I have to disagree. No, that, I, that the, what what happened when they do that against the Bengals and the Bills? I I, I get it, but here's what I'm but even then I see a three-point loss and a four-point loss 
a lot more a, a lot went wrong in both those games. It's key guys, key guys are gone. That's true of the other side too. That's true of the other side too. Injuries happen, but it's not like those games were like. It's not like you look at those games and go, "Yeah, told you so." You got steamrolled because you couldn't even. It's like no, actually, it's kind of a roll of the dice. It could have went either way on that one. So I say all that to say, even if the Chiefs just kinda tighten up some things, you've done it. I mean, like the Chiefs have been winning with so much margin, it's crazy. And I know we're looking at these three point wins, but they're just kind of, you know, they're they're up over the they're up over the Broncos by twenty seven at a quarter and a half, and then just let it all go and still win. And I know that that's baffling, and I know that that's like like it drives us all crazy, and yet. They just keep winning. And I at some point, I just think, you know, I've got to stop looking at this team and saying, uh, I, I know they did it again, but there's no way. I know they did it again, and there's no way. I There is a way. They keep doing it. I don't want their ghosts to come and haunt the house, but even when they do, they're still so damn close. And I think that that speaks so well to this team's good and and good enough to do it. And every other team has to be – tight and at their best playoff teams will be tight and at their best. So like, I'm, I'm again, I see everything that everyone else is saying. I get it. I just also, they've won 14 of 17 and I don't know what to do with that. Yeah. That's what makes it so difficult. The wins keep piling up, but not against the two teams that I think chiefs fans and maybe even chiefs players had circled on their schedule. Yeah. Uh, I, again, I think this is the Chiefs normal. I know people keep saying, why can the Chiefs play a normal game? This is the Chiefs normal. They have the talent to overcome the majority of turnover issues. They have the talent to overcome these special teams miscues. But that talent only takes you so far when you face teams that are in the equivalent or at least the equal playing field that you are in. Typically, it's not going to end the same way. That is my concern. I think the Chiefs have the highest upside of any team in the NFL. I, I truthfully believe that. I think if if every team play their A-plus game, I still think it's going to be the Kansas City Chiefs coming out on top. It's just we have not seen the Chiefs play that that often, and that's where my concerns really come in. Yeah, I I will say this, and and Sean just said this, and, and uh, it's a great reminder. I think every week – Sean says this. One thing to keep in mind, every player and coach in the NFL still sees Kansas City as the top team – and they get up for those games more than any other. I think we saw that with the Texans. I think we saw that with with uh, uh, I mean certainly with the rivalry games like like we're going to see this weekend and last week. I think Sean's right, and I think in the postseason, some of these other teams aren't used to everyone getting up and trying to do their best to give you that ultimate gut punch, all out gut punch. And the Chiefs are used to now like they've taken seventeen gut punches and and come back to win, right? So. I don't know. There's something in that that makes me like them even more than other teams uh, like the Bills or the Bengals. Yeah, that's fair. I I think playoff um, performance to an extent matters, but I think the Bengals have that to an extent as well. Obviously, the Bills, they are the team that has to get over over that hump. Obviously, Josh Allen in the last year's playoff game was phenomenal, but we've seen Josh Allen in the playoffs – look like he's dropped acid before and have no idea what's going on. So it can be a mixed bag. Uh, again, we're, we're going to see the Bengals have a massive loss. There's one of their tackles out. Uh, Von Miller, obviously a massive loss at edge for the Bills. Chiefs, for the most part, knock on wood, looking pretty, pretty healthy heading into the playoffs. Again, knocking on wood there. But um, 
But yeah, we'll see. It just feels like these three teams are the clear cut favorites in the AFC. Can't wait to see the Jaguars take it. <laughs> Dude, you know that somehow that's gonna happen. Well, this was the Arrowhead Attic Podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. We appreciate everyone in the comments. Thank you guys so much. Uh, again, keep Jamar Hamlin in your thoughts and prayers. That's a horrendous situation. You never want to see that. Uh, we'll try and keep you updated as much as we can whenever we find out more information. Uh, Matt Verderam honestly might have the best, uh, might be the best person to follow when it comes to what's going to happen with 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 the NFL and and moving forward. He is always the guy on top of it. But until next time, we are out.